0: Well, thank you very much. I was actually a little bit afraid that you were going to read the entire bio, and um, which I mean, I'm not afraid of my bio. I mean, whatever is in there, blame it on God. That's his fault. Um, So he's taken my wife and I, Danielle and I, all over the globe, as you mentioned. Um, uh, I was just mentioning before the morning worship that August 8th will mark 24 years in full-time ministry, Um, and it's been a journey, and uh, within that, I, I, am, I have a deep, rich history in the Church of Nazarene. I'm third-generation minister and missionary in the Church of Nazarene, um, and as a kid, you know, I always thought it was a curse, because um, I, I, honestly, I'm a recovering pastor's kid, and, and will be for the rest of my life, but, but with that, though, the older I got, not the taller I got, but the older that I got, I realized that it's rich and deep and a blessing, um, to have had parents and have parents still the way um, that I have, but have had grandparents and all my uncles, even were ministers in um, different churches, but have been pastors. A um, couple, uh, both grandparents were ministers and missionaries. Um, my mom's actually not from the United States, she's from Puerto Rico, and her dad was asked to come to the United States with the Missionary Alliance Church and the Church of the Nazarene Partnership to begin Spanish work in New York City. Um, my um, my sister is a pastor and now a professor at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. Um, we we have this, this rich rich history in the church, and I'm I'm honored to be in another local body of that church. I'm blessed to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's interesting to to be part of something that is much bigger than we realize. We are a small family in the church in Nazarene. We're a young church of only just a little over 100 years. Um, but to have lived globally and see um, how big we actually are because of, not because of numbers necessarily, but because of a really big, wonderful, good, loving God. God is doing some amazing work throughout the globe. And I know and I've heard um, from your pastors um, how God is at work in your church here and with you as part of that. That body, which is what we get to dig into this morning. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm honored to, um, to preach and to kind of continue this series. Uh, when Honestly, when I found out what the scripture, scripture text was for today, I laughed a little. Um, here's why. Because I, I began to think, and I, I don't believe this was just, I think this was just kind of my, my, my own brain at work. I began to think, who am I to talk about one body as someone who's currently transitioning out of a local body. Yeah, we're currently in transition. Next Sunday is my last Sunday at Tree City Church, and we're into a new transition. Yet, and the Spirit checked me, and and I I began to believe just maybe, because I think this text speaks about that different parts of the body that God uses all of us, that just maybe I'm the exact part of the body that the Lord could use today. And not only me, but just maybe you're the exact part of the body that needs to be here today. Um, just maybe you're the exact part of the body that the Lord can use in your particular spaces and places and homes and jobs and schools and neighborhoods and dot, 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 right? Because I, I, I don't think that we're here by accident. I truly believe that God has drawn us here, that God has drawn us here by, by and through his grace. A mystery? Absolutely. It's one that I'm okay not solving. I believe that, that God is doing this and is at work in all of our lives, and as well as in, 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 not in just in my life and in my family's life, but in your lives, and not just in this local church, but is at work in all people's lives everywhere at all time, that he's drawing them to himself. So my prayer simply this morning is that I would just be a conduit of of and for the Lord this morning, that you would hear from God, that you would sense God's touch, that you would, oh, that God, the one who became flesh and the spirit that dwells in the midst of us right now, would speak and be with you this morning, and that I'd just be this conduit. So that's my prayer. I hope that I can be that conduit this morning. So I, I love the letter to the Ephesians. I love this letter so much. Um, I, I'm grateful to continue the series. I'm, I'm a little bit, conf- um, a, a little, a, I'm, I'm trying to weave in the series a little bit because I forgot that you were in a series. I just thought you were in the book of Ephesians until about three days ago. And then I found out, oh, we're in a series. And I started listening to the sermons. And if you haven't if you have been here for the last couple of weeks and, been, and heard these sermons, you need to go back online. That's what I did. I went to your website and listened to those. Are killer sermons like you have amazing preachers So, I mean, go listen to those sermons and you can catch up on the series because I won't be digging into the improvisation and and the understanding of of that so much as has already been done and so beautifully, um, but we will be digging into this kind of idea of the resurrected life and the resurrection living. Um, Now, so I I began to think about diving into the improvisation I thought, well, why not? Like, let, let me just improv and let me just wing it this morning and go for it, right? I mean, I was on a traveling team at Northwest Nazarene University where we actually did improv. Wouldn't you love that? Let me just do that. There we go. No, not really. Thank the Lord that God just checks me with his spirit and says, no, you need to prepare. I'm, uh, so here I am prepared but here we are but I love the letter of Ephesians right I think there are, I think however before we dig into it and and some of this actually has been covered in your in the other sermons but I, I want to be clear about it because it sets I think the the pace for this sermon this morning there's three things that I think we we need to to remember again or to understand and the first that this was a letter written to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place a first-century letter to first-century people, yet I believe not without 21st-century implications. And the second thing that I think is that this letter was not just written to a person, but it was written to a community, to a church, to believers. Paul actually refers to them as saints, right? The believers, those that are already Christians following Jesus. And it's even speculated that this letter, this, that this was a letter that was circulated out to the larger, body of, of, of the larger body of Christ, and the church, and other churches in the region and areas. And then the third thing is, there's debate over whether or not Paul wrote this letter. I think that's insignificant because there is great in agreement that this, this message is fully Paulinian. It's, that th- this message, that is a deep message of how to live new life in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, is extremely important to Paul. Um, it's, it's weaved throughout the letter of Ephesians, and not only is it weaved throughout the letter of Ephesians, but Paul spe- speaks this phrase over 120 times in all his letters. If my mom said something 120 times, I should stand up and pay attention to it, right? There's some things I won't go there. But anyways, like if someone said something to you over 120 times, you probably would want to pay attention to it, right? Like We should pay attention to that. It's repeated so much that we should definitely pay attention. So what what might it mean for a first century brother or sister to live new life in Christ? Not just individualistically, remember this letter wasn't written to just a person, but corporately as one body. And how might that actually help us today? Ephesus was the Roman capital of Asia Minor modern day Turkey is where you can find it, right? so it's it's a po- it was a popular seaport, a thriving economy. it had strategic military location and 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 it had a diverse population which made it a hashtag top ten cities to move to. very similar to Mountain Home or Boise, right? Maybe not. so I mean I but it's one of those top 10 cities, right? Like, it's a place that, 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 that they wanted to be a part of. It's a place that people wanted to move to. It was one of these places where you did not want to miss out in being in Ephesus. However, this brought with it challenges and cultural struggle, struggles for the new Christians. As they believed this, these new Christians, they, they, were, they were pretty radical. They believed that their allegiance was not to Rome and to its Caesar, or another word for Caesar was Lord. Their allegiance was not to that, and 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 they believed that their lifestyle was not to an easy, comfortableness, seaport way of living that the Ephesus people sought, <laughs> and they believed that their way of living was not to was 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 not about self sufficiency, but fully about Christ's dependency. They were pretty crazy and radical. So I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 4, where our text will be, verses 1 through 16. And I'll be reading from the Common English um, Bible right now. If, if you are able and, 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 and willing, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Um, you are welcome to follow along in any translation that you have. But just so you know, I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love, and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to the people. What does the phrase he climbed up mean, if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions of the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. Until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults. To be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. Measured by the standard of the fullness of of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking in the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from Him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The, mo- the body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does their part. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. From the very beginning of this letter, which um, again go back to those sermons that you heard in the first couple of chapters, and, and hear that. But from the very beginning of this letter, there's a there's an invitation to a seemingly countercultural movement, one where there's an invitation to be in allegiance with Jesus Christ as one Lord, as our one Lord. There is there is an invitation to live dependent on Christ and live interdependent as part of that body, to 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 count on one another as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. And there's also this invitation to participate in God's desire for oneness. His desire this this oneness desire is that that is to bring all things, all things, creation, humanity, the church into union with Jesus the Christ, into unity, not uniformity, but unity with Jesus Christ. To bring about resurrection Of all things, new life. And we are invited to participate in that. But how? I mean, seriously, is oneness and with and and oneness with Christ and oneness with others actually or really possible? I mean, we're all so different. I'm different than you, very different growing up in New York City than most people that live in Idaho. Right, We're we're all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all carry different baggages, and and Christ is calling us into oneness, unity again, not uniformity. I spent a couple weeks at boys' camp. Um, Last year I went for the first time, our Trinity Pines boys' camp, our district camp. Um, Last year I went as a counselor um, or cabin leader, whatever we call ourselves now, and this year I went again with um, my son and and this summer, um, it, it, was, it was amazing. You know, I'm, I'm reminded every time around a whole bunch of 9- to 11-year-old year, year old boys how the much they stink. I mean, sorry, I mean, sorry, I'm just kidding. No, they do, but it's a Take a shower, dude. Uh, no, like, but anyways, yeah, no. But, but truly, I'm reminded of this, that, that these boys are just little humans. And reflections of us little bit bigger humans. <laughs> And us little bit bigger humans oftentimes have real difficult li- difficult time living in unity. <laughs> so I was looking at the boys, right? And I hear phrases like, you got me. You're cheating. No, put that card back. Go to the back of the line. Right? I mean, it's a little bit humorous when you're standing there and you're not the dad of all those kids until your son is the one, but then it's not so humorous. But, you know... It's, but it, right at the same time, like, and, you, and then it's followed with this little shove, like and then this little push. And, and it's funny to some extent, until I remember that they're little humans reflecting us a little bit bigger humans. <laughs> Yet, I, I, I begin to reflect on that. And, you know, what are the comic books? Uh, what, are the, what, is, what are the books of today and the pop culture and the government philosophies and the business ideologies of our world teach us actually today? To cut, to cheat, to push, to be first. Just maybe. So we live in a world much like the Ephesians. And not just at boys camp, but in our everyday ordinary way of living. And our spaces in which we reside, right? A world we can see that's divided and polarized and self-absorbed even. One with allegiance to things other than Jesus the Christ. One where we choose self-sufficiency over God's sufficiency. One where we seek to be self-dependent instead of interdependent as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now hear me. I I have three young kids. I, I want them to be somewhat self-sufficient. I want them to change their own clothes and to make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We're having trouble with that right now at eleven. Like, what what did dude? Just smear it on the bread. Like, but I mean I want some self-sufficiency to happen, and God wants us to mature, as we just read, like some self-sufficiency, but overall we are to be people of God's sufficiency and interdependent on one another. But it's really difficult to live in Christ and be other-focused as well. (laughs) We tend to have this posture of limits, right? Which is evident in the way we speak. Like, boy, I have reached my limits with you. Maybe this is just a parent that can understand that line. But, girl, I'm at the end of my rope with you. Dude, that's the last straw. I'm done. We're not friends. I'm out. No more. No more. I am totally fed up. I'm done. A posture of limits, even in our language. And I get it. Truly, I get it because I'm there a lot of times. I, I get this. I'm, I, like I mentioned, I'm a parent of three kids. I'm a spouse. That's getting a little bit better, right? I, 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 I get this, right? I'm, I'm a brother. I, I'm a son. I'm a nephew. I'm a cousin. I'm a friend. I'm in relationships with other people, as each and every one of you are, in different ways because of the gifts that God has given us, whether we're children or parents or friends or spouses. I get it. Our limits get the best of us. And yet that, what happens then is it manifests itself in our own lives with what we do to ourselves and in our relationships with how we treat others. Often this comes from being scared. Being scared. It comes from having been hurt too many times or being tired of being stepped on or being afraid to actually be vulnerable or being nervous to be open and inviting others into our lives. So what we do then is we live out of fear and we live out of exhaustion and we live, or we live out of a desire to, of retribution and retaliation or we live with an unwillingness to forgive. And so we close off And we settle for separation and broken relationships. This posture then moves us to divide people into us, us and them categories, right? This posture of limit, limits moves us to that, to divide people into us and them categories. And sadly, this has happened historically outside the church and inside the church. The same church that we're talking about in Ephesus here to be one body. I feel we fall into this temptation because of fear, yes. And yet I also think it comes from, a, from deep misconceptions about God. So as was mentioned, I'm a former chaplain. I was chaplain at Point Loma Nazarene University for four years, and I loved it. As, as one, I would often reiterate the words of another chaplain, George Buttricks. You may have heard of him. He was chaplain at Harvard. It's a different school. Um, Anyways, yeah, when I would have students come to me and say that they didn't believe in God, I would often say, sit down here for a moment. Um, This was George's phrase. I just stole it. Sit down here for a moment and tell me what kind of God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. See, what I think happens in a lot of our lives is we get hung up on misconceptions of God and God's character, like that he's vengeful, angry. He's about destruction and death or he's not a good and beautiful God. This happens because I think we've failed to see the true God revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. So we believe one thing and we live another. Yet I believe if we, if we would take a step back, if we would look at Jesus, we'd see God truly. A God that's not tamed or even fully scripted. One that, you could say, improvises. <laughs> one, one most definitely filled and embodying and ever-expanding love. One who is about life, not death. And I think we'd see this. We'd we, we would begin to see that we could fully rely on God in all of our life, just like Jesus did. <laughs> that we would begin to see that we could believe in a God who is good even into death just like Jesus did. We begin to see that we can forgive freely, even if it's in our last breath, just like Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them. Ephesians calls us into this Jesus way of living, a movement of new life in Christ and unity as one body. So if there is a calling, which I believe there is in here, and there's a movement, and even if we went back to the original text, we would understand that there's kind of this walking movement language that Paul is using in the original text. So if there's a calling, which we hear in the first verses of chapter 4, this presupposes, I think, a couple things. One, that God's actually graciously speaking or calling. And two, someone, someone's listening. And three... There's a call into something, into some movement into something. So I believe in the first, that God is actually still speaking and speaking graciously. In fact, if we take a look at the whole scripture uh, as a whole, we can go all the way back to Genesis 1 and we find this God who is continually speaking or revealing, would be another word, God's self. If we go back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. There we go. God revealed or God spoke to us who God was. The beginning, Then the next word is created. In the beginning, God created. God then speaks or reveals God's self as something else, one who creates. And then further along in the Genesis narrative there, in the creation narrative, we we see, and God said. Then we see actually God is one who truly speaks things into existence, we, and, and we could walk through the entire, entire book and, of, of the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. We, we see a God who continually reveals God's self. He reveals himself over and over again. I mean, even, even to where God speaks through a donkey, which may not be so much different than today. But no, so God is... Like, there we go. I just brought you back. All right, praise the Lord. Here we are. This God is continually speaking over and over again, revealing himself to us till ultimately God reveals God's self in flesh. Jesus. God speaks himself into existence as flesh and then speaks over and over again to his disciples and we hear the words of Christ. And so this is a God that I believe is continually speaking ultimately, yes, in flesh. The book of Hebrews helps remind us that Jesus was God's exact replica or representation of the Father, a good and loving God, a good and loving Father. Jesus reminded his disciples of this too. If you've seen me, he said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father who loves everyone. And then Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians where we are, but also in Colossians 1, that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. All of who God is, is Jesus. Now I believe God still speaks today and is calling us, the church, the one body, into being those conduits of his voice. So I love C.S. Lewis and... um, my wife never gets tired of this story. But I, I do. I love C.S. Lewis. We read through the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, we've, we're into the second time now with my kids. And, and Prince Caspian is actually one of my, my favorite books. And um, I love the characters that, that, that C.S. Lewis brings in there, and especially Lucy. I, 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 I love her. I, there's this one scene in Prince. If you've never seen the, the or if you've never read the book, um, see the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, see the movie. If you haven't read the book, read the book. Read the book. Or see the movie. Either one, but go do it. It's awesome. So, um, anyways, Prince Caspian, right? And so here they are. The kids have come back. If you've seen the Chronicles of Narnia or read that, um, the kids have returned now to to, excuse me, to Narnia, and they haven't seen Aslan yet. They haven't seen the lion yet. They haven't seen Aslan yet. And um, they fall asleep in the woods, and, and they're sleeping there in, in the woods, and and Lucy's, Lucy Lucy um, begins to have a vision. Right, um, or a dream one might say, but it's more of a vision because it's so real. Um, one might even say God is revealing Himself through Aslan. But anyways, here we are. So here they, here the kids are, and Lucy wakes up, right, and and down they're in the woods, and these trees start partying. The trees start parting like almost like a like a runway, and she sees Aslan at the far end, and the trees start parting. She stands up, and she starts like running to Aslan, and she runs to him, and she. Grabs onto Aslan and they start wrestling and they're laughing and and at how a, how a lion laughs and, and how a kid laughs and they're and they're and they're, and they're there they are right and and then she like stops and she looks up at Aslan and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he says, Oh my child, I'm not. She's like, You're not? And he says, No, no, my dear sweet one, but each year you grow, I grow. Every year you grow, I grow. See, I believe this is the God that is so big we haven't even seen all of who God is. (laughs) The God who speaks and has spoken so much we haven't heard everything that God has to say. But each year that we grow as part of the one body, we begin to see more and more of who God is. And we go, God, you're bigger. (laughs) And he goes, oh, my children, no, I'm not. But each year you grow, I grow. (laughs) No, you've just just seen more of me through your brother or through your sister. Or you've just seen more of me because of the words that I spoke through so-and-so or the Spirit spoken to you, your heart. So I believe God still speaks and is revealing in the ongoing story of love a new life, resurrection of Jesus and this new way of living in Christ through his church, through the one body. While God may be still speaking and revealing, and I believe that God is, the question then is, are we listening? (laughs) Ephesians invites us back to chapter 4 here. Ephesians invites us in Christ to listen and to remember. The remembering part was talked a lot about in the sermon last week. you got to listen to it. It's so great. It invites us in Christ to listen and remember our good and our gracious and our loving God who planned, here it is, who planned in chapter 1, verse 10, who planned to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. And here in chapter 4, we are urged to live as people worthy of that call, of the call you receive from God to conduct or to live with all humility, gentleness, patience, accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. This is, this, we have to understand that this is, this is, this is more than just merely hearing. What Paul is talking about. this listening, it's more than just merely hearing. I mean, I'm really good at hearing, in one ear out the other. My kids have gotten that down pat. I think they learned it from me. But anyways, in one ear out the other. But this was often the case, this was often the case as a kid for me, right? I mean, I don't know how your mom was, my mom, um, you know, short four foot 11 Latino woman. And and, and, and and so it was over and over again this sort of conversation that I would have with her. I'm like, Ma, heard you and she's like, I know you heard me, but you're not listening. I know you heard me, but you're not listening. And so there's this big difference between, for Paul, especially right here, between hearing and listening. In fact, if we go back to the to the verb in the Latin for the word to, uh, to listen that we get listened from, the Latin word is audire, which literally means to obey. Essentially, what Paul is saying is if we are truly listening to the call, we are obeying. We're not just hearing it. We're living it. This is necessary because there is a calling in chapter 4 for us. A movement into living resurrected lives in Christ as one body. The challenge, it comes right away. We read in verse 2 of chapter 4. And it's not enough to only hear about humility. Humility's challenge is a challenging thing. I don't know about you, but it's super challenging for me. So it's not, for Paul, it's not enough to only hear about humility. We have to listen we must obediently become humble in Christ. For our first century friends, we have to understand this. Humility was not a good thing. It was not a good word. It was not a good quality. It was not a good thing. Humility, or, or uh, another word that might be used right there, lowliness, was not admired or honored. Being dominant, being powerful, being the top dog, being first... Now that was admired. That's something I could put stock into. Being humble, being lowly, being the last? No way. Humility meant servility or having a posture and mentality of being a slave. Nobody wants to be a slave or have the posture of serving, right? Right? Yet this is what the church is called into continually as one body, one that serves one another humbly, just like Jesus served. In fact, it was said, I have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life so that others may live. (laughs) Out of this humble posture, not a posture of limits now, but a humble posture, then the church or Jesus followers, we might say, are called and then sent with different gifts because we all have different gifts. We all have been given these different gifts and responsibilities. We are then sent with these different gifts as peaceful witnesses who forgive, who love, and grace others, just as they too have been forgiven, loved, and graced. Jesus if you don't remember when that happened it was while yet we were still sinners Christ came Christ came loved graced died saved us from our sins we did not have to go fix ourselves for that to happen Christ came while yet we were still sinners I don't know about you, but that's like massive hope for me. <laughs> what hope, what beauty. It's amazing that seriously, new life can be lived where humility, gentleness, patience, acceptance, love, unity, and peace are not only possible things, but they are transformational because of Christ. This letter is literally wrapped within this call of peace and love. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 6, verse 23. There we see this call to, to humble, peaceful living. And not only, not only externally, but also inwardly. So the posture of limits and doesn't hurt us inwardly and externally anymore. But a posture of humility enables us inwardly and externally to be jesus to others paul seems to be calling us to live in christ yes again with different gifts yet the same purpose verse 11 serving and building up the body so that out of this center the center where it's in christ jesus christ is the center we can then live peaceably in a violent and self-indulgent world this not yet world (laughs) Because when our center is lived out of being in Christ, the oneness, again, the unity, not uniformity, because we all look different. I mean, I look really different. <laughs> this oneness of one body is greater. It becomes greater. It is, more, it is much greater than our prejudices, our anticipations, our desires, our pursuit of ranking, our, our sexuality, our nationality. Uh, whether we're liberalism or conservatism or denominationalism or even actually it's greater than our own perceived needs because Christ knows exactly what each of us need our body with this this one body with one hope one faith one baptism where the where there is not multiple gods not a dualistic God, not a Jesus and God, but one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all, and can be lived out humbly and faithfully. We can then live out humbly and faithfully in love and grace, not out of our own power, but out of the power of living in Christ of God's power so I mentioned earlier I grew up in New York City most of my life again I am a recovering pastor's kid we moved around and this transition then with my kids uh, brings about a lot of different baggage for me trying to navigate that with them but um, most of my life I grew up in New York City uh, and and spent pretty much my entire childhood years there and then I finished up high school in in Michigan and then came to NNU Um, so, I spent four years here uh, uh, in Idaho and then left Idaho. Never thought I'd be back to Idaho, but praise God, I'm back in Idaho. Top 10 cities to, uh, anyways, um, <laughs> no. But um, as I was growing up in New York City, uh, I was reminded, as I was preparing for another sermon, actually, um, on, on a similar message. Uh, it was another one of Paul's letters, but similar message on this one body. I was reminded of of something that happened in our church. Now, our church, our English-speaking church, it was actually, by the time my dad left, after 10 years, there was four different um, churches that met in our building, all Nazarene churches. Um, one was a Korean church, one was a uh, Chinese church, uh, Indo-Pakistani church, um, and then our English-speaking church, which had, which had 27 different first-generation nationalities um, into the United States. And I grew up with, you know, their kids who were first-generation born um, Americans. And this, this was my posse, I guess, right? These were my people. Um, but I was reminded of something that happened in, in one of the services. Uh, and so I called my dad. I didn't remember everything. Again, I was, I was a young kid. But th- what, what is taking place in, in the church in Ephesus right here in chapter four, this was the case for two daughters back in 1984, who found one body to be greater than the seemingly impossible lines that divided them as humans, Not sure how familiar any of you are with the conflict and hatred that existed between the Armenians and Turks over the centuries, but it's been grievously disastrous, to say the least. Between 1893 and 1896, the Turkish conquerors um, of Armenia killed between 20,000 and 50,000 Armenians. In 1915, the Turks drove the majority of the people of Armenia out into the Syrian desert in order to stop them from helping the Russian army. Hundreds of thousands of Arminians died of starvation, exhaustion, and sunstroke in the desert. So back in 1984, I was just a kid growing up in New York City. At this point, I was right around 12 years old. I was working the sound booth during um, the service one Sunday morning because that's actually what a pastor's kid, that's what we do. you know. Especially if the pastor is the one that installed the sound system, your son runs it. Um, Anyway, my dad was the pastor of the church in Flushing, New York, and he was preaching on what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. He was sharing what Paul had written about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, which reads, "...for he is our peace, made us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. By his death, he ended the whole system and law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity." My dad mentioned that there was a particular moment during the service, as we were talking about, and I was trying to remember, where two women stood spontaneously. One woman named Rose, she was an Arminian, and Virginia was Turkish. Both were Christians. The letter to the Ephesians is written to Christians. Remember this. (laughs) I remember they stood up, sitting on opposite sides of the sanctuary. And there I was up in the sound booth, and I could see it from from different ends of the sanctuary. And they began to walk toward each other, and they met. And in grace-filled posture, embraced each other in hugs and kisses. And fully began to confess to each other. Fully began to confess to each other the hostilities that had alienated them. My dad said then that through tears and deep emotion, Rose and Virginia began sharing with each other and the entire congregation the peace of Christ. And that God's grace and peace make way for forgiveness. They then began telling each other how the communion of the Holy Spirit was more powerful than the hatreds that had divided them. The acceptance of hospitality, of making space, the space inside of them for the other, and the giving of grace one to another was the doorway that led to forgiveness for them. And this was the exact representation of lives lived worthy of the calling received that Paul mentions in chapter 4. Just as Jesus transformed not only the word but the action of humility or lowliness— from bad to good. These two women listened and demonstrated humility, grace, forgiveness, acceptance, and love, and transformed all that to be all good. It was a beautiful picture of the unity of the spirit with the peace that tied them together. In Christ in Jesus Jesus prayed for this that we would become one in Christ and man that's the church I believe in that's the church I believe we all can be that's the church I've witnessed and that's the church that again we can all become not perfectly we're not called to perfection but we are called to live with a perfect God we are called to live in Christ Christ is perfect and perfects his church with each of us as we live lives together as one body in Christ. I really think it's all right to be this sort of messy people who truly accept the invitation presented to us in Ephesians and walk the journey of grace, healing, resurrection, and transformation in Christ, enabled in God's power May we all go today embracing grace freely, loving unconditionally, and walking confident in the calling as God's son, as God's daughter, always becoming a more beautiful one body in Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.